Well, uh, good morning. What a beautiful day, beautiful weekend. It feels like spring, praise God. Uh, get it while you can in Houston, right? It's, uh, it's been a great weekend. Um, it's great to be together, to worship together as God's people. If you are new, I just want to welcome you again. My name is David. I'm the lead pastor here. We're so glad that you're here and worshiping with us. Uh, we have been going through a sermon series on the book of Romans uh, called The Power of uh, God's Salvation. And so we're looking, uh, really kind of going through this entire letter over about 25 weeks, and we're about a month and a half in, which puts us right at chapter three, which is what Eric just read for us this morning. And so I want to invite you to grab a Bible, open that up to Romans chapter three, there's verses one through 20. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one uh, in the seat back near you. You can grab one of those and open it up to page 940, page 940 in the Black Bible in the seat back near you. Um, so again, we're, we're, we find ourselves in Romans uh, chapter 3, and if you remember, what, what's going on right now, really in Romans 1 all the way up through 3, is uh, at the end of chapter 1, Paul begins this imaginary conversation. Uh, we've talked about this a few times. He's having this conversation uh, with an imaginary conversation partner, and we're, we're right in the middle of that conversation. So we want to kind of continue uh, understanding what is, what is kind of happening in this conversation of Paul's. And I was thinking about this uh, just this morning, just you know, going through uh, a, Paul, a letter like Paul's to the Romans, uh, it can be easy to kind of start feeling a little overwhelmed uh, or a little disoriented uh, because he just continues to kind of build and build and build as we go forward. And it's interesting, even Peter, the Apostle Peter uh, in Peter, 2 Peter chapter 3, he says, you know, Paul writes these letters and he says, speaking about all these things, he says, and these letters, they are hard for me to understand. That's what he says. So you got one apostle talking about Paul, the way he writes, being hard to understand. So I, I want to say that because we're going to try to make our way through this this morning. It may be a little bit hard to understand as we're kind of going through this. So just know you're in good company uh, with the apostle Peter. But I think God does want to speak to us uh, really powerfully through this letter, in particular through chapter 3. And so I don't want us to get lost. I don't want us to get lost because it would be easy to do so. Um, uh, in the midst of this conversation. And so I was trying to think, how, how could we maybe kind of mix it up just a little bit uh, this morning? So uh, I wanted to try, try this because what is happening here is a conversation. And so I wanted to kind of approach it maybe like you were uh, overhearing a conversation. Uh, so just here's a little thought experience. Imagine you're on a plane. You know, imagine you're sitting in a row and there's a couple of seats next to you with two people and they're having a conversation and you've got your headphones on, you've got the screen on, but they are so engaged with this conversation, it's piqued your curiosity, you are doing that eavesdropping thing while you're trying not to eavesdrop thing on a plane and you're just listening to the conversation, right? And so just kind of get your, get your mind in that place and that's what's happening. Paul is sitting there next to you on a plane and he's got a friend of his, uh, this imaginary conversation part, he's got a friend sitting here, I'm just gonna call that guy Ben. Okay, just for, I have no idea why Ben, just Ben. All right, so Paul and Ben are sitting there and they're having this conversation. And so this is how I would imagine that conversation would go. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna play both parts, okay? So y'all just stick with me. I'm not gonna do voices or anything if you're getting nervous. I'm just gonna, all right. So, so Paul, uh, he says, listen, Ben, uh, here's the thing. Jews and Gentiles, all, all of humanity, really, everybody has this big problem. And we're made for life with God, but inside we're broken, we're sick, we're, we're, we're wicked. Our, our sin has ruptured our relationship with God and it's corrupted every part of life, Ben. And as a result, we're all deserving of God's judgment and his wrath. 
And then looks at Paul and he says, well, Paul, that's great, but here's my question. Is that really true for everybody? Is that true for everyone? Is it the Old Testament, for example, this story of God choosing a people who would be different? I mean, Paul, didn't God say that he was going to have a special relationship with Israel? And hasn't he given things like the law and the sign of circumcision? And doesn't all that stuff matter? Doesn't that save us from this judgment that you're talking about and God's wrath? Paul, Ben, I'm sorry, bottom line, it doesn't. It doesn't save anyone. Ben, what? I just don't get it, Paul. I don't understand. What's the point of being Jewish then, right? What advantage do I have as a Jew? What value is there to something like circumcision? Paul, don't get me wrong. There are definitely advantages. For one, Israel was given word, the word of God, the oracles, as Paul calls them. He's given them promises. They also have this important job to be God's representatives in the world, participating in the work of redemption and leading the nations to know and worship God. Ben, so Paul, I don't understand that. What's the problem? What's the problem? Why isn't that stuff enough to save us if it's so good? The problem is that Israel wasn't faithful to God's word and didn't live up to that calling. Ben, well, sure, okay, Paul, I I mean, some were unfaithful. But that doesn't mean God won't keep his promises, does it? Are you calling God a liar? Paul, heck no, I'm not calling God a liar. You know the saying, let God be true and every other person a liar. God's faithfulness is not on the line here. In fact, Israel's unfaithfulness highlights how good and faithful God really is. All right, so wait, if I'm tracking with you, You're saying if my lies are unrighteousness, then they actually can serve to show off God's truth? If that's true, then why blame me for lying? When I mess up, in other words, aren't I just doing God a favor? He gets to be the hero, right, Paul? Seriously, Ben, are you kidding me with that? You know that's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying that more evil we do, the more good God does, so let's just do whatever we want. You know I'm not saying that. All right, fine, Paul. I I am just completely confused. Uh, You've lost me. Where does all of this leave the Jewish people? Are we better off or are we not better off? Paul, well, Ben, you're not really better off. It's like I was saying before. Everyone, Jews and Gentiles, all start out with the same problem. We are all sinners, Scripture leaves no doubt about it. There's nobody who's living right, not one. Nobody who knows the score, nobody living for God. We've all taken the wrong turn, all wandered down blind alleys. No one is living right, no one. I mean, think about your own life, Ben, your own heart. We all lie, we all manipulate people, we all abuse language, we all leave a path of brokenness behind us, we all hurt one another. Whether we've got the law or not, we've all broken the rules. Yes, our role as God's people, the Jewish people, Israel, it matters. But it doesn't change the problem of sin. In fact, it should make us even more aware. It should make it even more obvious to us that we have God's word. God's word is a gift. Because it helps us see just how broken and sinful we really are. 
should humble us. Ben, okay, I think I'm starting to get that. But honestly, Paul, that's hard for me to hear. We're all broken, we're all sinful, and we've all fallen short, no matter what. Yes, it's hard to hear, but it's true. That's why we all need God to save us. Plain lands. Grab your carry-on, and you're walking through the terminal, and you're thinking about the conversation you just heard me very poorly reenact. (laughs) The question is, what does that mean? What is this conversation that Paul has been having right in front of us? What does it have to do with us? If it has anything to do with us. I want to suggest it has a lot to do with us. And I want to point out at least two things that I think you might be thinking, having overheard a conversation like that on an airplane. And the first one you might be thinking is this, that sin is real. Sin is real. I'll bet you a million bucks today. A million bucks. You'll never hear a conversation anything like that on any plane you ever get on. (laughs) I would even go a step further. I would bet you'll never hear a conversation about sin, period, on a plane. You'll see people sin on a plane. (laughs) You might sin these days on a plane, but you won't hear it talked about. Nobody wants to talk about sin anymore. Just try to bring it up. It's your next work lunch, right? Or your next coffee appointment or the next PTA meeting. I'd like to say something about sin. It's a conversation killer. Nobody wants to talk about sin anymore. I think there's a lot of reasons for that. I think in part it's because the goal of our culture has become to feel good. I'm good if I feel good, right? And so reflecting on something like sin is not helpful to that end. Nobody feels good by talking about sin. Most people would prefer to ignore any negative feelings like guilt and focus only on the positive kind of self-affirming talk that we're constantly taught. And so sin is off the table. Don't talk about sin. Even as followers of Jesus in the church, people don't talk about sin. Fleming Rutledge um, I love what she says about this. She says, uh, when talking about Romans chapter 3 specifically, she says a passage like this rarely even gets preached on. And the reason, she says, is this. She says it's because of, quote, all this talk about sin from Paul. Sophisticated people in the 21st century have long since given up talking about sin. We talk about obsessive behavior, she writes. We talk about neurotic patterns, she says. Deviance, pathologies, disorder, anything we can use to not talk about sin. We don't want to talk about it. We don't want to talk about it. And so we don't. But Paul seems to want to talk about it a lot. I mean, we've been going for about four weeks. And honestly, it's, it's hard. Maybe you were like, I'll just skip a couple weeks. Come back when we get back into the grace part. 
But Paul talks about sin a lot. Why? Because he wants us to know it's real. It's real. Sin is real. Paul's going to say a lot about sin. He already has. He's going to say more as we work our way through Romans. In Romans 1, he starts off, he tells us it goes all the way back. It's way before us. It goes way back all the way to the beginning. Genesis chapter 3, Adam, the fall. What happened there wasn't just about Adam. His disobedience to God has become our disobedience to God. And so what's happened is the natural inclination of our hearts is actually towards sin. That's our orientation. And so while we're still created in God's image and capable of good, we may not be as evil as we could be, but sin is everywhere and it affects everything, including all of us. And so what's happened to sin is it's like a virus. <laughs> we can relate. It's like a virus just spread everywhere, touches everything. Romans 3.23, we're going to talk about this next week. He says, we've all, what, fallen short of the glory of God. We've all, in other words, missed the mark of God's standard. That's what sin is. Sin is our rejection of a holy God. This is what sin is. Sin is me shoving God off the throne of my life, shoving him off and saying, God, I don't need you. I'm taking this seat. Sin is when you say, I know what you want me to do, and I know what your word says for me to do, but I don't, I don't care. I don't care. I'm going to do it my way. That's sin. That's why sin kills faith. It says no to trusting in and depending on God. It's why pain kills us. Right? Our rejection of the God of life ultimately leads to death and eternity apart from the God of life. So sin, sin is real. So whatever else we think, whatever else we've been taught, whatever else our culture says, that's what's true. Sin is real. So that's the first thing we might consider in light of that conversation between Paul and Ben. The second thing we might consider is that sin's not only real, but sin has real consequences. Sin has real consequences. The real problem isn't just that people don't want to talk about sin anymore. Even in the church, the problem is that people don't believe in sin anymore. More and more people in our culture have uh, no biblical framework, right, to think about how the world actually is. And so what happens is that makes it harder and harder to have conversations with people uh, talking about biblical ideas, things like salvation and grace and sin. More and more people lack any frame of reference, in other words, for the concept of sin. And so to have a conversation with them about sin, it doesn't, it doesn't connect, it doesn't compute, it doesn't make sense for them. It's interesting, Michael um, Byrd in his commentary on Romans 3, this is what he says. He says, uh, to most people the word sin means something kind of vague uh, and fuzzy like naughty but fun. Like when you throw around sin to the average person who doesn't follow Jesus, that's, they got some kind of version of that in their head. Sin is something uh, maybe beyond that. They might think, oh, it's, it's, it's that thing that moralizing geriatrics get upset about. He says it's happily indulged in by hip people who brazenly assert their independence against authority. Right? He goes on to say sin is a Victorian hang-up that we need to get over so we can get on and enjoy life, life to the full. It's an alternate gospel, right? 
In a February article in The Economist, which is surprising, uh, a British columnist named Catherine Nixie, she highlighted a similar cultural attitude about sin that I think is worth considering. She says this. Uh, she's talking about the judgment of God. She says, smiting used to be so simple. God smote, and then people trembled, and sometimes they died. But in more and more modern minds, there's no such God who would smite anyone for anything. The God of justice, the God who judges, has been replaced completely by a God who is tolerant and inclusive and not judgmental. Few in Britain celebrate, I love this, the smighty almighty. That's what she calls that version of God, smighty almighty. Uh, She says few people in Britain celebrate that version of God today. Rather, as the Archbishop of Canterbury put it recently, they worship a God who is the God of love, in quotes. We do worship the God of love. We also worship a God who has every right to judge our sin. And the two are not mutually exclusive. As far as with Jesus, we have to understand that many of our friends, though, our neighbors, our coworkers, our classmates who don't know what Jesus is, they don't, they don't have a meaningful framework, again, for, for this concept of sin. They don't see themselves as sinners, in other words, who need to be forgiven. And so just think through the implications of that. They, they don't see why the gospel, then, would be good news. They don't see why they would actually need Jesus. Why is he necessary? Rather, what they see is themselves as basically good people who at times are victims of economic and political and social forces beyond their control. I think all that's true, and I think we have to be aware of the world in which we're living. However, however, people may not have a category or a full understanding of sin, but I do think they understand the consequences of sin. Specifically, they are aware that things are not right in the world and that things are not right within them. They know there's this gap that exists between who they are and who they wish they were. There's a gap. And they feel that deep within them. They they have a sense of pain and shame related to that gap. It's interesting talking about the consequences of sin and people's awareness of it, but not having a category of sin. It's interesting to me to listen to the way people talk about Ukraine right now, Um, talking about this heartbreaking situation unfolding on our screens, and to hear people process these violent atrocities of war playing out in front of them. And it's interesting, I don't hear people talking in terms of sin. I don't hear anybody talking uh, about sin. What I do hear people talking about, though, is this in terms of evil. I hear that. It pops out every once in a while. I mean, it is hard to watch the killing of pregnant women and children and not call that evil, whether you believe in God or not. And so people, I think, they, they see evil in the world. There's something about that idea that connects They see it as a threat to the things they value, to life and and, and to to freedom and to happiness. And so I I just, I bring that before us because I think maybe there's a way for us as those who follow Jesus and long for others to know Jesus. Maybe there's a way there for us to move forward in conversations with those we love around us, our neighbors and our friends about Jesus 
even though they don't have a concept for sin, they do have an understanding on some level of evil. So perhaps talking about evil is a helpful way of talking about sin with people who don't believe in sin. As followers of Jesus, we believe there is evil. And it's not just something that's a product of a few bad people in the world or an inevitable byproduct of social evolution. Evil is a spiritual reality for us. This is not the way things were meant to be in God's world. There is evil. And like a cancer, it's attacking God's good creation and killing humanity. We believe that God cannot abide that in the world and that one day he will destroy it once and for all. We believe that he intends to set the world to rights. And we believe that that's why Jesus came and that's why Jesus died. And as we make our way through Lent, that's our aim, the cross. Because God cannot stand evil. And so people are willing to talk about evil in the world because it's easy to see. It's pretty undeniable. I think what's harder for people to see, and maybe even for us to see, is the evil in ourselves. Ironically, it was uh, Russian author Alexander Solzhenitsyn who wrote these words. He said, if only there were evil people somewhere insidiously committing evil deeds, and it were necessary only to separate them from the rest of us and to destroy them. But the line dividing good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being. And who is willing to destroy a piece of his own heart? Sin and evil aren't just out there. It's in here. It's in me. It's in you. Romans 1 through 3, this whole argument that Paul is making, he's pushing that in front of us and saying, we have to see it. We have to see it. We have to see sin, that it's real. And we have to see the consequences of our sin. Not just in the world, but in ourselves. And so I think one of the questions we might leave with would be this. Can we be honest with ourselves when it comes to our own sin and its consequences? Can we look past the pitiful excuses that we tend to make for ourselves and examine the deepest recesses of our own hearts? The Holy Spirit will help us do that. Ask him. Can we allow God, through his gospel, to shine light, the light of truth, into the darkest desires of our hearts? The claim of the Bible is that the evil, the evilest of evil, the darkest of darkness, isn't just in mass murderers and dictators. It's in us. That same evil is in us. And the claim of the Bible is that only a holy God has the power to deal with that evil in us through his justice and through his judgment. And so Romans 3 is bringing us to face all of that reality. And it should, if we've read Romans 1 through 3 right, it should leave us here. What hope is there for us? What hope is there for us? If all that is true, Paul, what hope is there for me? And the answer in Romans is that Jesus is our hope. Jesus is our hope. 
Paul has told us, and he'll tell us again, the good news is that Jesus, the Son of God, is the hope of our salvation. He died on the cross for you. He died on the cross for me. He has satisfied the judgment of God. And he says in Luke 4, there's verses that I just read, he's come for this. He's come to liberate us. He's come to set the captives free, to open the eyes of the blind, not just to our sin and our evil, but to his grace and his mercy. Jesus came to set us free from sin and evil and death so that we might be made right with God. John Stott, in his famous book, The Cross of Christ, says it this way. Before we can see the cross as something done for us, we must see the cross as something done by us. Before we can see it as something done for us, we must see it as something done by us. Because sin is real. And it has real consequences. And only, only when we acknowledge that and the truth about ourselves can we receive God's forgiveness. And can we receive the healing that Jesus brings through his cross. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for your great grace. God, we are so not deserving. Or we can never earn what you have given us in your son, Jesus. Lord, you have given us an opportunity for life with you forever. Lord, you rescue us from sin and death. You usher us into life with you. That's what we were made for. It's what we long for. And so Lord, I pray that every person in here would know that great truth, that they would be liberated from the power of sin, set free from the power of death, or that evil would have no place in their heart. And Lord, that they might receive all the blessings of their heavenly Father in Jesus. Lord, if someone in this room has never tasted that, I pray they would taste that today, that they would know that truth, that they are forgiven. Lord, we pray for grace upon grace upon grace for each of us. We give you thanks for the cross, for your willingness to die for us, out of your great love for us. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.